Hello, and welcome to The Narrativist. Hello, I'm Jack. And I'm Charlie. So just before we get started, we just wanted to touch base with a few housekeeping things. We've launched our website, um, www.thenarrativist.com. It's live now on the internet, www.thenarrativist.com. Please go there to hear a bit more about what we're doing and how you might be able to help and get involved too. So, um, episode two. Episode two. And this month we are talking about, or looking at rather, the refugee crisis. Yes, we have a brand new piece of writing by Leia Cohen. It's called Gate Zero. In that, teenage Mara finds herself stranded at the airport, sheltering her little brother Simeon from the catastrophe unfolding around them, not knowing who to trust among the thousands trapped in the process of leaving their homes. Uh, But just before that, we're going to hear from Joe Murphy. Joe Murphy, with his friend and writing partner Joe Robertson, went to Calais in 2015 to bear witness to the refugee camp that had formed just on the coast. But we don't want to talk too much about it. You can hear from Joe here himself. I know there's two Joes. You're Joe... Murphy. Joe Murphy. Neither one's Joe Robertson. Joe Roberts. Mm. And together you are good chance. Yeah. 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 Well, so, the, be- the beginning of it, which is, is is bigger than us now, which is lovely. Other other great people who are helping out. But yeah. Let's start with, with Cali then and, mm. and where it where it all began. How did it how did it happen in the first place? Well, it it happened I suppose I'm gonna re- sort of reject Approaching it by um, saying that it that it happened because I don't want to suggest that we had an idea before we went to Calais because we we didn't really know because we didn't know anything about the situation and we didn't we didn't know that we would want to set up a theatre or if that would be appropriate or anything we just went to um, to bear witness which is a slightly awkward um, turn of phrase. Um, but it's true, you know. We, we we went to see what was happening because it was all over the news, and it was it was uh, you know July and August last year. There were you know photos of Alan Kurdi, the the, the three year old Syrian boy, washed up on the beach, and and uh, and David Cameron talked about swarms of, of migrants coming across the sea, and uh, and it was around that time that that we went to Calais because it was. It was the first port of call, really, to be honest. We thought that we'd end up going to Munich because there was a lot happening in Munich at the time. And But we got to Calais, took us an hour on the train, and we ended up staying in Calais um, for a week with these um, Kuwaiti people who sort of welcomed us and uh, made us feel at home. <laughs> and... <laughs> sung to us and and cooked for us and were just great guys um and uh it was it was a really bizarre experience because it was you know the homeliness and the um the enthusiasm was i think what we didn't expect could exist in a place that looked like that um you know cuz it, it you know looks like a war zone um, uh, or in between a war zone and a festival, 
you know, yeah, um, sure. but a right. festival where you know everyone's coming down, and they have been they've been coming down for like a year, um, <laughs> and it's you know it's all going wrong. <laughs> um, uh, and I think you know then we went back after that week, and and we thought, well, we've, we've got to do something here. I don't know what that is, but you know we sort of put on our heads as writers and is there any way that you can think about writing in this kind of situation but that didn't feel right or possible that we could write anything about this situation because we didn't know anything about it and so we we thought well if we could provide a place where, where people could write and by extension could perform, could sing, could dance could paint, could do all these different things and on a really basic level just a social space um, that would be a great thing because it didn't exist. You know, there wasn't that sort of central social place. What did exist when you arrived at that point? How long had oh. the camp in that form been? Um, so it had been in as the jungle, what, what we've begun to call the jungle since March. Um, and that was, I mean, that happened principally because the Jules Ferry Centre opened, which is a, a day centre where there's a food distribution, there are um, limited number of showers, um, and the state said that people could temporarily camp around the day centre, and it was really a way of getting people from the various jungles in Calais into one place. Um, you know, to some people's mind, that's the formation of a ghetto, um, you know, outside of the city, far away, everyone in one place. And we arrived uh, late August um, for the first time, and there were, I mean, it was mostly tents at that point. Um, people were, you know, there, there weren't many... Donations were beginning to come in in quite a big way, following on from uh, Alan Kurdi and swarms of migrants, and this kind of... Um, Response from uh, the British public going, mm, no, that we don't think that. So there was, you know, I think the statistic is, I have no way of verifying this, but 50% uh, of people have donated something um, wow. to that situation, which I can't imagine is true, but it gives an indication, even, even if that figure is 10%, that's a, that's a hell of a lot of people. Sure, yeah. um, it says something as well, so it could. Be a small amount. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so you know, it, we we arrived at the same time as as lots of different people who became really integral um, uh, people and provided integral infrastructure in the camp. So uh, Liz, who ran the Women and Children's Centre, runs the Women and Children's Centre. Um, she arrived at around the same time as us. Um, Ben, who uh, took on the mantle of uh, distributing and organising housing, he arrived at that time. You know, there was a lot of um, enthusiasm is the wrong word, but there was a lot of action. There was a there was a big response around that time, and, and I think we we fit really happily into that category of, of people who just wanted to try and do something at that time. Um, yeah, but there were you know there were shops. People, had, had, you know, mainly in the Afghan area, there were mosques, uh, the church, 
Um, so mainly things that the refugees themselves had, had set up? B- broadly, yes. Um, and, you know, there was, you know, a, a swarm of Brits who, who came across and and added into that. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was still, it was very basic. Um, you know, there were two water points uh, when we arrived. That quickly became three, but then... You know, as the numbers increase, there were you know 100 people arriving every day, which there are indeed now um, as well. Um, so quickly, the population swelled to. I mean, the statistic that was was bandied around was was 6,000 at that time, but it it was it was a lot more than that. You know, it was it, to my mind, it was between 10 and 15,000 people who were there. Um, probably closer to 10 but um, you know there were a lot of people there um, and three water points wasn't very yeah, much um, for, for that amount So where did you begin constructing I mean constructing physically but just constructing socially a, 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 mm. a communal space like that We um, I think because we, di- we didn't really know what to do where we didn't we didn't you know, we didn't know whether it would work, um, or I don't know. We didn't. We didn't know anything, and there's 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 there's, there's no real way of me expressing. Like it's 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 quite. I don't know. It's quite scary initially, um, uh, without wanting to sound too at all grand about it. Um, but you you've got to. It, it took a lot of. Just talking with people and 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 trying to explain really clearly what what we were trying to do, but ultimately we went and we put up the dome. You know, we just went. You know, we 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 spoke to people back here and we said we need money. We ran a crowdfunding project. We got enough money to buy a dome, um, and we took it over. You know, we said to all these people, we went to see um, David Lan at the Young Vic, we went to see Vicky Featherstone at Royal Court, um, and uh, and others, and we just said, we're going to build a theatre uh, in the Calais refugee camp, we're going to do it on Tuesday, and uh, we need your support. And they said, on Tuesday? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, oh. What do you, what does support mean? And we said we don't know because uh, we don't know what we're doing, but we know that we're going to need your support. And they said yes. They just said yes um, because I think um, you know the the context of British theatre at, at, at that time was what the fuck are we going to do? How I mean we we've got to respond to this mm. situation, not just not Calais specifically, but this. But what is happening um, across the world? Um, we've we've got to engage with this. Um, if we have any belief that that theatre is responsive, is current, is about what is happening around us, then then it's our duty to. But um, and I think we just came at, at the right moment in some senses because we we came with a suggestion um, that wasn't. It wasn't trying to take people's voices to to understand something, you know, that was happening in Syria or happening in 
Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever and make a make a play about it. It was it was the proposition was we're going to go into that situation. We're going to take the theatre to people who need it rather than expecting them to come to us mm-hmm. um, because they can't. They're refugees. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that initial enthusiasm was was amazing and really really important. And, and Stephen Doldry and Sonia Friedman and uh, uh, Natalia and Nikolai from Belarus Free Theatre and 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 many others um, and Rufus and, and Ben at the National as well. Um, it was um, it was great having having that um, encouragement behind it. Um, from from the beginning, and but I don't know on a more <laughs> on a more local level, it was. I mean, how do you persuade people to come to a theatre? How do you get your audience to come in? Um, well, you've got to have something good. Um, you've got to have something that is worth somebody giving up their time um, because. Although there's not much to do in the jungle, you know, people do have a routine daily. They sleep in until very late because they've been trying throughout the night to get over the border to the UK, and, um, and they need to get food. You know, you, you, your your suggestion of putting a theatre there is 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 that they will change in some way the the pattern of their day, which is a big thing for anyone um, mm. wherever they are. Um, so we had to have good stuff. Um, which was difficult at first because it was literally just me and Joe, um, and it it just takes a lot of ideas. It takes a lot. It's it's it, you have to um, you have to always be thinking about things that that might be interesting, and you know, I think I think our naivety helped us. To be honest, I think because. We we had never met people from Iraq or Syria or Sudan or Eritrea, all of these places. We didn't we didn't know about uh, these these people's cultures. We we sort of we just dived straight in and we and we just tried stuff out and some of it worked and 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 some of it didn't. And then it was as as. I suppose the significant part of it is, is is social media, because we 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 felt that it was really important to not communicate people's stories um, online, because but just communicate that we were tr- that we were running a theatre in Calais um, and sort of let that speak for itself, um, and people were really interested in it. Um, I think people thought. You know that's that's a good idea, um, which is great, and it, and it just meant well we really had really quickly in amongst doing you know all the all the stuff set up a website, get email addresses so that people can contact about volunteering and run Twitter and Facebooks and and it 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 exploded really really quickly and and people. Would, were wanting to to come out and, and run workshops and and you know it was it it was it was amazing. So it, describe to us the the, the dome literally. I mean, yeah, or, well, or it's water. it's an eleven meter uh, geodesic dome, which um, uh, 
was going to say it was invented by Engelbert Humperdinck, but that's <laughs> that's not true. It's um, it's somebody with a, it's invented by Buckminster Fuller. Um, well, but they're two, two great names, so you can <laughs> understand why I get that wrong. Um, uh, and he invented the geodesic dome, which is apparently the strongest temporary structure in the world. Nice. Because it's made of metal poles that join into triangles, and then join those triangles join into pentagons, and but triangles are the strongest... Um, uh, shape um, oh, right. that, that we know, and apparently you can land a helicopter on it. But again, this is just <laughs> just another, you know, bit so, of bullshitting. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so it's lasted so far. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's 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 fine, and it's um, it's it's that dome that we'll be uh, uh, bringing to to London this summer. Um, but it's um, it would. Again, really sort of ostentatious move in a sense because it was massive. I mean, you know, six metres tall, 11 metres diameter. It was, along with the church, the biggest building in the jungle, um, which we sort of liked because... um, It's a beacon, in a way. Well, yeah, it looked so weird. It looked (laughs) like... A, an alien spacecraft had landed um, on the ground, and it and it didn't know how to get back in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so did people come just to see the? I, th- I, I, I think so, and I think I think that's that. You know, in in simple terms, I think that's one of the reasons that it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, not to, you know. I think there's there's other things going on, but I think that's a really important part of it. It was you know the the choice because we looked at marquees, we looked at smaller tents, and in the end we just said, oh, "Fuck it, let's just get this massive <laughs> thing and and just just go for it." And it was great for winter, um, and it's pretty good in the summer as well. And it's you know it 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 worked, and it was it became. You know, I think the important thing about it, um, aside from the actual structure, was that you know on that first day, people about fifty, sixty people helped us build it. You know, and and that was that was a really crucial part of the idea that it was it belonged to everybody. Yeah. Um, and so that was a mixture of refugees and volunteers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, I mean, to be honest, we were. At the beginning, I don't know where this came from, but we were, we were quite militant about remaining just for refugees. Um, uh, there was there was a point where quite a lot of volunteers wanted to move their tents next to the next to the theatre, um, right? Because it was just familiar. Like, yeah, get away. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it, I don't know, it was it was it was for the people who were living in that situation, and it was, um, I mean, and I th- I, th- I think I think people well, I know that that so many people felt that it was that it that it was theirs, and um, and that that started on the first day with the building. I think if we'd have, you know, if we'd have got gone in with a team and gone, 
no, stay back, stay back, stay yeah, back. Yeah, it, yeah. Would, it, it would have it would have felt completely wrong. Um, we needed all the help that we could get. <laughs> yeah. And how did you fill it day to day? What would a day consist of in the day? I mean, to begin with, I literally can't remember. <laughs> I, I, honestly, but it was because we were, I mean, we were so stupid because we, you know, the, the two of us and then Amy, and we were running space from 11 till 11 every day. And it was, I mean, that's it's stupid. It's just a stupid thing to do. Um, and, you know, in a sense, I, you know, I wouldn't, I've, I don't think I'd make that decision now. Uh, I don't, I, I mean, maybe I would because I'd understand the benefit of it, but I, you know, I, I think it, it took, like I said before, you know, it took, Naivety, uh, lack of knowledge, um, and that was that was our great strength in the in the early stages. But as as we got a, we then got like a blackboard, so we could you know write what we were doing. But that meant that we had to plan what we were doing. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, you know, so writing workshop, um, clowning, drawing. We got some paints began to get some instruments and you know hour 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 and then at the night at night we we began to uh, at, it was initially at eight o'clock we had like a show or a an event we called the hope show um which happened every saturday uh and we moved it to seven as as the nights got darker um and that was um, sort of like an old style variety show um, uh, mixed in with weird improvisations and uh, so some rehearsed stuff like scenes and, and, and songs and um, uh, mime and, and this is performed by who's performing it? people in the camp a- anybody know? yeah so, pe- so so this was you know we'd, we'd develop it throughout the week um, yeah. in in rehearsals and you know we'd maybe rehearse sort of two three four pieces so that we had a spine to to the night and then what always happened which was why it was amazing was people you know that that thing of when you're in an audience in the theatre and you're feeling you're feeling great you're feeling connected with what you're seeing but you, you can't really do anything about it because you're sat in your seat well people c- could get up like yeah. they could they could get up and go of Fuck this! I'm gonna I'm gonna do a chicken impression, <laughs> <laughs> and that was that 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 moment stays with me like, so strongly. The the guy who got up and did a chicken impression um, because of what he saw, and you know, a friend of ours who is from Iran, you know, announced himself into the theatre during a hope show by doing getting up on stage and doing a backflip. Um, what you know, um, <laughs> like it was. I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't circus, and it wasn't sort of vaudeville. It wasn't theatre. It wasn't a gig. It wasn't. I don't know what it was. It was. It was a show. It just was expression. The, it was the physical show. Yeah. yeah, and it was yeah. incredible. And it got, that got to the point where, you know, two hundred. Everyone knew what time it was and what day, 
um, and outside there would be a queue of people, you know, 200 people waiting to get in for the home show and um, you know people on each other's shoulders and you know that 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 to me was was reaching towards a proper artistic form um, which was completely born out of the situation there the fact that you couldn't rehearse for very long because you didn't want to be there the fact that you know if you did rehearse something that you know, one of one of the cast is going to get over that the night before, and you're not going to have him. So somebody else has got to come in and you know, just jam. Um, you know, it was it was completely appropriate to the situation, um, yeah. and that 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 with my with my writer's head on, that is that was the artistic achievement of of the, of the theatre. Um, yeah, yeah. That sounds great. It sounds really. It's. It was. It was inspiring. It was what I believe theatre is. It was. You know. It was. It was free. In the sense that you know you can just get up and and do what you want. Um, it was respectful. It was excited. It was. It was critical. Like if somebody wasn't good, then not in a hostile way, it would be like, well, I'm going to make a call because you know I, I've got a call to make because my friend just got over to the UK, so I'm just going to do this now because that's that's not taking my fancy. It was it was it was just beautiful, and yeah, yeah. And what for you were the were the highlights of your your time there? Um. The the piece that I think um, was was a was a brilliant piece of, of theatre um, was um, a performance by a guy from Afghanistan who um, was deaf and uh, and obviously mute and he was a really brilliant performer and he we were doing a lot of mime um, workshops and he got really into it and so we put together a sort of um, half hour uh, mime about a person from Afghanistan who uh, was a soldier um, but was arrested by the police or the militia put in prison Escaped, left the country, and came and arrived in the jungle. Um, and that, and he was this 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 person was sort of constantly followed by one other actor who played different parts. Who was sort of, sort of like a nemesis who followed him everywhere, somebody that was stalking him. Um, and it was that was a, that was a, that was a great piece of theatre. And that was Joe Murphy, who we were talking to back in June last year. If you'd like to hear more about what Good Chance are currently working on, you can go to their website, goodchance.org.uk. They currently have a production in the pipeline which opens at the Young Vic called The Jungle on the 7th of December. But now uh, we have for you Gate Zero by Blair Cowan. Enjoy. 
The pound hit its lowest level since 1985. Six days in a row, I'm on cleaning duty. I do the sinks, I do the mirrors. I even wash Gregory's bloody face till it's shining like silverware. And what now? Now it's somebody else's turn. It's, oh yes, let's devise a new system. Samira, that's not what's happening. We're redeploying resources. Oh, brilliant, Gregory. Bloody brilliant. How about I redeploy my chai all over your waste of space scalp, guys? Stop it. Samira, we are fewer in numbers even fewer. We have to focus on our priorities. Our priorities. <laughs> Remember, we all agree. Well, maybe we need to take consensus again on the priorities. They were agreed, Samira. Yes, but some of the people in that meeting are no longer with us. All the more reason to stick to them. Is it? <laughs> Gregory, because I thought the point was to do what's best for us, not soldier on in the honour of the bitter memory of someone else. England is rotten, Samira. This country is a rotting apple. The decay bites to the core, and if you stay here, you become the flesh and you will not survive. Samira! Oh, don't, Josie. You know as well as I do that... Not what? You all know what we're doing here. It's flipping pointless. It's pennies in a fountain. Maybe it's time to start fishing for change. Samira. I'm sorry, Josie. I'm going to join the queue. Even that feels more productive at this point. But we need you. Oh, let her go. She'll be back in, the, in time for tomorrow. Yeah, you're probably right. You seem stressed, Gregory. I can't see how this plan is going to work. Come on, it will work. It won't. We can't get you close to the plane until it's almost ready to taxi. At that point, how do we know that the stewards won't be looking out the window? It'll be dark. Not dark enough. What we need is something to hold their attention away from us. There's not enough of us. <laughs> is that it then? Do we accept failure before we've even begun? slowly on a wet rag used to plug up the sinkhole. I imagine the idea is to dampen the sound. Around the edge of the room are small huddles. 
people, I suppose, of sorts. Except at one point, some of them forget to be people. It's easily done if nobody reminds you. There's a mother and her child, huddled together to keep warm. Three men are lying curled together under the hand dryer, like pieces of orange peel nestled inside each other's curve. What are you writing, Mark? Are you writing, Simeon is the best brother ever? What's that you've got there? I found it. It's a bit stinky. What is it? It's a popcorn box. They put popcorn in it when you go to watch a film. Look on the outside, that's people at the cinema. What are they doing? Well, she's enjoying the film. She looks sad. Maybe it's a sad film. There is a reliable, reassuring movement to the mornings and evenings. When normal punters start arriving for the first flights, the huddlers stretch out their frozen limbs. They turn cold faces upwards, trying to absorb some light from the frosted glass tiles in the ceiling. Some wash, splashing water on taut faces and in sunken armpits. It is a balancing act between keeping the comfort of sleep trapped between the layers of clothing and invoking the gentle nymphs of hygiene which could dance over your eyes and coax you gently into action. This one is bored. Look, he's asleep. Yes, but can you see? His dog is awake. <laughs> the dog is eating the popcorn. He is. He's eating it. Come on. No, I don't want to. Simeon. Oh, but my feet hurt. I'll carry you. Well, no, you won't. You'll carry me for two or one minute, and then you'll put me down in the queue and say, that's enough. <laughs> oh, just five more minutes, please. Tell me a story. What story? About Mama. Again. And you have to do all the voices. Fine. Come close then. It's a dark night, black as ink, and all along the port the waves are coming up, big as houses. A long queue of people snakes back as far as the eye can see. Who are they, Mara? Lots of people. From families with tiny babies to old people edging forwards on frames and sticks. How many more hours? As long as it takes, Elias. But I'd rather spend another day and night waiting for the boats than go back. There were five of us. You remember? Uh, I think so. Mum, Uncle Elias, Cousin Shira, and you and me. Shira's hungry. She can barely keep her head up. I know, Elias, but we have to be patient. At the front of the queue, people hand over money and step on board a boat. It's a small thing, bouncing around in the rocky water, but the boatmen keep stuffing more and more people until it's sitting very low in the water. What colour was the boat? Does it matter? Was it red? Yes, if you like. Red, with those little circle windows? OK. Oi! Did you see? He just pushed in. Excuse me! That's a good idea, Elias. Why not start a bloody riot? You did. We saw you do it. I hope your boat capsizes and the fish feast on your eyeballs. Elias! More boats came and left. Slowly, the sun began to rise over the sea, turning the sky pink. Pink? Like strawberry ice cream? <laughs> yes, exactly. And then? And that's when they turned up. The diggers. <laughs> <laughs> That's why right. they were big trucks. With long necks and teeth. What are they doing? 
Marielle nearly hit an old lady. Careful! Rita, take the children. Take them where, Elias? Into the sea? Shall I? Shall we just go for a jolly paddle? What are they doing? It looks like they're unloading pillars and wire. Can you see? After the diggers came the policemen. Why? There's a government-mandated construction underway, sir. Get back, please! We're just waiting for a boat. Simeon, take my hand, please. Come on, Simeon. Oh, I need to go to the bathroom. Oh, Simeon. Okay, but be quick. Some days we queue for six hours, edging forwards bit by bit. I'm not sure what else to do. Some say they issue about five permits to leave every day. The line waiting for permits is sometimes ten people wide. If you lie down or fall asleep, the guards kick you out, so it's a game. Every day I just hope that less people will turn up, that we'll get to the front in time. Mama told me boarders used to keep people out. And now they keep people in. The government is scared there'll be nobody left. Well, nobody left to do the rubbish jobs. Cleaning and nursing and working in bars. Not jobs for nice white people. Gregory, I made some tea. Thanks. You know, I didn't want anything extraordinary when I moved here. Just something new. New sights, new challenges. And how did that go for you? (laughs) All right, actually, for a while. I was working in an advertising agency, and then there was some restructuring, and I was made redundant. Then the contract on the room I was renting ended, and I thought, well, well, it's fine. (laughs) Something else will come up. And when it didn't, I thought, right, Josie, Time to go back. And then, well, then it was too late. Oh, yes, the, uh, the Economic Unit Act. They said I couldn't leave. I had to apply for a permit. Oh, great. Problem solved then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just the minor obstacle of a permit costing more than I'd earned in the past six months. <laughs> Be quick, Sim. Simeon always takes ages in the toilet. I think he enjoys having four solid walls and a few moments to himself. We've only been camping out here in the airport for two weeks, but I've started to map out the communities and subgroups that exist here. A group of men who wear baseball caps gather around the plug sockets in the cafe, drinking strong coffee and charging a never-ending carousel of smartphones. They take in turns to go outside and smoke cigarettes. Two women and six small children sleep next to the vending machines. The children all have dark hair and big eyes. The women are always laughing together. Most interestingly, to me, a small committee meets every day in the bathroom. Nobody knows what they get up to. They have lots of papers and diagrams, and they shout a lot about consensus. Okay, do you have the schedules for tonight? Maybe we can find a few minutes that will be safer. Uh, Gregory, 
the girl. Sorry, I'm just waiting for my brother. Uh, that's okay. Have you been here long? Just two weeks. Come on then. What are you doing? Are you drawing? Are you playing a game? I'm sorry about him. He just likes being the centre of attention. Come on, Simeon. I've seen you kids. You're here alone, aren't you? Oh, can I have some? Of course. We came here with our uncle. He got a permit a few days ago and left. Hopefully we'll be leaving soon. Our mama went swimming. Is that so? <gasps> can I have a biscuit? Sim? Of course. What are you planning? You're very curious children, aren't you? I'm not a child. I am. I listen to you all whispering at night. I hear you shuffling papers in the dark of night when I'm trying to help Simeon get to sleep. I don't need help. So tell us. You tell me. What are we all doing here? We're waiting to leave. Exactly. Why? Gregory, leave her alone. What are you doing here? I told you. We're waiting to leave. Why? I hate it here. What do you hate? Bloody hell, Gregory. Everything. I hate the way the policemen look at you. How they touch their batons when I walk by. I hate the smell of cars and petrol. Not hot petrol like at home, but cold, wet metal and sour rust and old rubber. I hated my job. Nobody talked to me. The old ladies with their transparent skin would run their scaly dry fingers through my hair and remark about how soft it is. It's my hair. What do they expect? I hate the landlord. He spoke to my mum like she was a child. We just wanted them to fix the shower. He came round and rolled his eyes and said, You're creating an awful lot of trouble, Mrs Park. His breath stunk. I could smell it down the hallway. Cigarettes and energy drinks. I hated them. I hated him. I hated it all. So we have to leave. That's why we're here. Isn't it? More, more tea, Simeon? No, thank you. Oh, we do have to leave. Or die in the attempt. Less of the histronics. Well, how? They won't let you on a plane unless you queue for a permit, and even then... Oh, we've tried lots of ways. <laughs> but hey, I don't want to bore you with my whisperings and paper shufflings. Tell me. Disguise. False documents. Impersonation. Murder. What? Not really. <laughs> Distractions. Confusion. Ambush. Mutiny. Every time something fails, we come up with a new plan and try again. And tomorrow night, we've got a new method to road test. Oi, Simeon. Those aren't yours. <laughs> it's, it's a risky strategy. And so is staying here. The real danger is losing yourself. Amara? Living in the airport if you can call it living, is like drowning slowly in murky waters. If you don't watch out, the seaweed catches around your ankles and drags you under. I want to know so desperately what lies ahead. I want to know how long I have to hang on. How long I have to keep pretending to Simeon that everything is fine. Waiting is the worst feeling, I think. Worse than having a tooth pulled. I think... My capacity to imagine pain is far wilder than the pain I have experienced. Or maybe not. How can you imagine a sensation you've never known? Will you help us? Yes. Can we talk about this? 
Gregory, she doesn't even know what you're asking her to do. Is he your brother? Yes. I'm Simeon. What's your name? It's Gregory. Can he follow instructions? Well... Is he okay with loud noises? What noises? Like a digger? Gregory, this isn't a good idea. You'll go with him. Where? Look, the plane will taxi at 22.05, so we need to be at the fences by latest 21.40. There's a small window of time when the crew will be checking the meal delivery, so they won't be looking out. That's when Josie will climb into the wheel well. What? What's a wheel well? Why? I'm catching a ride, Mara. Like a limpet on a whale. Josie will have a small oxygen supply with her and rope to lash herself in, so she doesn't fall out when the landing gear is released. Now here's where you come in. You and Simeon need to carry on with What, mate? Uncle got angry, didn't he? Yes, he did. There has to be a boat. We're leaving. It's our right to free movement. Free movement? That's a good one. Do you have a permit to leave, sir? They started to build a big fence all around the sea to stop it making the stones all wet. No, Simeon. Around the land? Oh. What's happening? Madam, I'm going to have to ask you to... Take your hands off me! As I said, you all need to get right back off the quay, pronto. We're not going back. Oi! I said, get back. Rita! Go, Elias! I'm arresting you for willfully obstructing a police officer in the execution of his duty. Get off her! Elias, be sensible. Take Simi and Amara with you. Get a boat if you can. Oh, I know this bit. Let me tell it. Go on, then. Uncle Elias put me on his shoulders and said, let's go and have Cocoa Pops. And I said, yes, let's go and have Cocoa Pops. It was breakfast time, but my tummy was so empty, it was just like a huge cave and there was nothing in it, just flies and sand. But then I said, but what about Mama? Isn't Mama hungry? And Uncle Elias said, Mama's going swimming, Sim. I said, but she can't swim. And Uncle said, hmm, maybe... Mama will grow a big silvery tail and swim around like a fish. Hey? What fish, Uncle? And where's Mama now? She's at our old home across the sea, waiting for us. Cooking chicken, how I like it, with the crispy skin. Mmm, I can almost taste it. I can't. Are you ready, Sim? I won't let anything happen to you. If we help these people, they'll help us get out too. That's what we want, isn't it? Yes. Will we really go home? I hope so. Come on, time to get some fresh air. Rope. Yep. Travel sickness tablets? Yes, I took them an hour ago. Gloves? Uh, yes, somewhere. Mara, there you are. Sorry, we had to do another toilet trip. No, we didn't. You remember what you have to do. You've only told her 15 times, Gregory, but hopefully the 16th will really ram the message home. Thank you, Samira. Mara, take the boy by the hand and walk right out in front of the plane. Mara? What now, Sim? You know what you have to say, Simeon? I want to go on the plane. What? 
I want to go on the plane. Sorry? I want to go on the plane! As I said, they won't listen to you, but they won't hurt you either. Kids aren't worth the hassle. They'll just take you a few miles up the road and leave you there. You have the map. It's here. If you're not back by sundown, Samira and I will come looking for you. Samira, can I just check this with you? Yes. Gregory. Hmm? Is Josie going to make it? Oh. Yes. We expect so. There's a relatively high success rate if you manage to stay conscious. The cold temperature slows the body's vital functions and actually helps you to survive without oxygen. Oh. Okay. She'll be fine. And tomorrow we can start thinking about you two. What about you? What about me? When will you leave? When it's the right time. Okay, it's time. I've got 21.53. Josie? Ready. Okay, Mara and Simeon, are you ready to go out? Remember everything we discussed. We're ready. Bye, Mara. Bye, Sim. Take care of each other and thank you. Don't let go of my hand, Simeon. Run with me. Come on. were nice this time, weren't they? Were they? Yeah. Well, they didn't have any of those noisy whistles. Mara? What? Where do you think Josie's going? She's going home. Oh, that's nice. Will you tell me a story? What story? About Mama. Oh, I'm tired, Simeon. Have you forgotten it? No, Sim. No, I haven't. It's a dark night, black as ink. All along the port, the waves are coming up. Big. Gate Zero was written by Leah Cowan. Mara was played by Charlene Smith and Simeon by Natasha Moore, Samira by Joyce Vahiri, Gregory by John Etherington, Josie by Zelina Ribeiro, Rita by Harriet Dobby, and Elias by Edward Yelland. The announcements were by Charlotte Dazak, and The Policeman was played by Jack Hudson. Many thanks to the contributors of Freesound. For a full list of sounds and their creditors, please get in contact with us. Well, that's it from us this month. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, uh, please head over to our website, www.thenarrativists.com, where you can hear more about what we're up to and also maybe hear about how you can get involved too. And please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast itself. And uh, we'll be back in a month. See you then. Bye-bye for now. Bye.